Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. And in this introductory lecture, I'd just like to lay out the basic content or introductory material. But here I'll give you my opinion on some of the key things that we've described this in the catalog as a theological study of the faithfulness of God revealed in Christ. Of course, the idea that faith is going to, especially in chapter 4, take on a very particular understanding. It is very much connected to Paul's understanding of righteousness. Uh, What is under contention here in the book of Romans, which there's very little that's not under contention in the book of Romans, which is sort of ironic, in that this is clearly the deepest of Paul's letters. This is the most theologically profound of the epistles, laying out the deep grammar of the Christian faith, and how we read Romans then is really determinative of our understanding of Christianity. But unfortunately, there has been no more greater controversy than over the reading of Romans. And so there is the sense that how we read this book is how we understand what Christianity is and will determine what branch of Christian understanding we might fall into. The reading as we will do it, uh, we might categorize it in large terms as over and against an Augustinian reading throughout a Reformed reading, a Calvinist reading. This is the the major departure, I think, is the notion of original sin, as you have it. It is nowhere taught in the book. It is a a mistake in the Latin translation that uh, this is founded upon. But we'll come to that in due time. My own work, then, has been with the Book of Romans, focused on Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8, and not as a New Testament scholar, but as a, as a theologian, I've approached the book. In my own reading, we are presented with the universal nature of the human predicament and the manner in which Christ saves us from that predicament. I don't believe that it is original sin, but it is, in fact, sin as it is laid out in especially chapter 3 and chapter 7, but then the universal implications of that. So it is the fundamental nature of the gospel that is under contention in these key chapters. And so the overall theme is the nature, the practical nature of salvation in Christ. In the word practical here, we've employed it in other other ways. The idea of salvation as being one that is lived out, that it is an, an applied salvation. In Romans in particular, it is applied to the immediate circumstance of sin, which is defined as the subject grounded in a deception oriented to death. And we'll work this language out and say what all this means. Some of the language is, I always think it's inadequate, does not convey in the immediate context what that might mean, you know, even to say a deception a lie, something that you inhabit in inhabiting it, it is an orientation then that undoes you, and there is this inherent alienation. And so the book of Romans lays this out more clearly, I think, in a deeper fashion than anywhere else. And then the 
resolution. And we should never focus simply on the negative, but upon the resolution, because that's the primary thing. That is, Christ has certainly come to save, but what salvation involves is a positive new life in Christ, certainly for the future, also in the present, that there's an alternative ground. Romans 6 is going to work out the meaning of baptism as an alternative ground and an alternative understanding of humanity, particularly Romans 5, where Christ is portrayed as the second Adam. There is an alternative subject oriented no longer to death, no longer defined either individually, Romans 7, or corporately, you know, this is Romans 3, by the orientation to death or by you know, what Paul is going to describe as not just our own dying, but in a sense the violence that he lays out in chapter 3. It's an it's a irony that this most hotly contested portion of the New Testament is in many ways, and maybe this is the wrong way to say it, is at its center, because even this is a kind of theological statement that needs a, a correction of course, what should be at the center are the Gospels, the life of Christ. And I think reading Romans rightly is to get the center then in Christ rightly. But here that the center in the sense that here is the application, implication of the life of Christ. What has arisen then are alternative notions of Christianity on the basis of the reading of Romans that there is one understanding that is going to more or less consistently misread the entire book, starting with Romans 5, certainly Romans 7, you know, Romans 5, the misreading will be as to the nature of the fall, the nature of original sin. Romans 7, the misreading will be who this is talking about, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian. And then the misreading as it applies to Romans 9 to 11. The grand problem here is once you miss 5 and 7, you're not going to understand 9 to 11. I think if you understand 5 to 7 correctly, 9 to 11 is no longer the great mystery. Or In a sense, an Augustinian reading or the typical evangelical reading of 9 to 11 is a consistent undoing of precisely what Paul says, but there's the necessity to undo what he says in 9 to 11 because they've already misunderstood 5 and 7. And so in this kind of perverse version of Christianity, the law is given priority. And what I mean here is the problem is defined. Uh, it's there in Augustine, but I think it's uh, primarily there in Luther. The law is seen to be the problem, which of course is just a misreading of both the Old and the New Testament. It is not law against grace. It's not Judaism against Christianity. It's not the Old Testament against the New Testament, as Luther will pit them. But it is an orientation to the law. And my own work then has described this, that sin then is this death-dealing orientation. And the orientation, of course, is on the basis of a, of a deception or a lie. Where sin and salvation are worked out, that law is the problem, then the heart of Romans, most people agree, or the very center of the book is Romans 6 to 8. And once you've misunderstood Romans chapter 5, inevitably, or even back to chapter 4, the understanding of faith, this is going to, to be read in a different way.
In general, if we if we set up the the situation in Romans that in the early fifties, perhaps when there is not a complete split between what Judaism and worship. You know, it may be that the Christians are meeting even in the synagogues. It's not clear. But then there's the, you know, the Jews are expelled from Rome and then return. And so there is this discussion throughout Romans, as in uh, Galatians, a kind of parallel book, over the, the Jewish practices. And so when we talk about law, it's really this that Paul has in mind, that it's circumcision, it's the food laws. The key markers of what it means uh, to be Jewish, um, does one have to do these things? Are the Jewish practices um, the, the way in which one is marked as part of the Christian community? And, of course, Paul is going to argue that circumcision, food laws, that these are not no longer the markers, but he's going to put uh, baptism um, and the Lord's Supper as, as the key markers. And so Paul is seeking to resolve the conflict uh, and uh, by showing that the law and the legal ethnic differences of these two groups are secondary to a universal problem. That is, what is what is the predicament? What is the problem? And has Judaism solved this problem? And the argument throughout Romans is, well, no, that the law, uh, and it's not because of a necessary inadequacy. You know, Paul is going to say again and again, is the law sin? Show you know that he's going to and and uh, that the problem is not with the law, but with a misunderstanding of the purposes of the law. Uh, the law is a marker of the problem that we might say is the problem of the law of sin and death. And this is not just a problem for some people, this is a problem for all people, uh, Jew and Gentile. And of course, that's the key part of the argument through much of the first portion of the book and even even into the last portion where in you know uh, where he begins to discuss uh, the the role of Israel and righteousness then and think here not in Greek terms of righteousness but in Hebrew terms being made right or as James McClendon will call it right wising that is right relations are restored then between God and man and between uh, humans themselves, between one another, through faith in Christ. Um, the problem may be that, uh, as Stolmacher uh, relates it, if they were, you know, the Jews are forced out and the Gentiles then are meeting in homes and they become uh, the Gentile house churches, uh, which seems to be, uh, if you go through the list of names in chapter 16, that the food restrictions, other Jewish practices, well, they're no longer keeping those and no longer feel the necessity to keep those. And when the Jews return, when Claudius dies, uh, and the Jewish Christians returned to Rome, 
there may be a conflict, and that may be the situation that Romans is written in the midst of that conflict. Con conflict um, in which Christianity may, and this is Stuhlmacher's point, this is uh, other commentators' points, it, it may be that this is the point in time that there is a, a distinct division between Christianity and uh, the, the Jewish community and, and Judaism. Uh, and so they're going to have to, as the Jews come back, they're going to have to adjust to a church, predominantly Gentile. Well, we don't know the numbers, we don't know the percentage of people, but at least in practice. The question is, well, then how, what are the Jews to do in this new circumstance? Some think this is the clear breaking point of the church from Judaism, in which Christianity and the Christians are going to become a distinct community. The arguments that Paul is going to make are, well, what is the role of Judaism? How does it relate to Christianity? What is salvation? How have Jewish law and practices their status in regard to Christian salvation? What is the relationship between Israel and the church? And, and of course, in all of this, Paul is nuancing this very carefully. If you, you don't want to read this in an Augustinian sense or in a Lutheran sense, in that understanding, there would be what is called supersessionism. Judaism is set aside, and Christianity is a displacement, but it is a fulfillment, and certainly a, a fulfillment that's distinct from Judaism. And so theologically, he will demonstrate that the purpose of the law is fulfilled in Christ, and that the law was not able to achieve righteousness. Um, the law was not able to address the problem of sin, but in fact, the, the very role of the law is to, in some way, be a pointer to uh, the problem of sin. The law is not a resolution, but simply an indicator of the human predicament, the incapacity that is there in sin. And so the Mosaic law accentuated the need for the intervention of God. The theological argument and the so social development converge in the theme of universality. That is, what, what is universal in the message of Christ? If you think here of John, that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The same argument is, is here in Romans. It is in Christ that the universality of the problem and the resolution to that universal problem both are brought out. And so this new community will no longer bear the marks of exclusive rituals and practices. It will embody the reality of a new inclusive form of humanity. There's an, you know, this is the second Adam. Here is authentic humanity. That the second Adam is the truly human one. So how is God making people right in the face of death? We might say that's the, the, one of the themes or the key thrust of the argument. And Paul seeks to show the relationship between law, gospel, Jew, Gentile, and between Israel and the church, Jews and Gentiles, all are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It was always Israel's purpose to have a universal uh, fulfillment as found in the church. The theme there in verses 16 to 17, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And he's echoing several passages, Old Testament passages here, 
that he's making things right. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but uh, it's through the gospel that the righteousness of God has been revealed. In the face, then, of shame and death, and so his, I'm not ashamed, it's not, oh, I'm not embarrassed by the gospel, that's not strong enough. The idea is that Adam's fall marks the advent of uh, shame, which is not usually emphasized in a Western notion of atonement, Western notions of anthropology that are going to focus on guilt and the resolution of guilt. And so part of the reading of Romans that we're doing is connected then to a broadened out understanding that is captured in the move from an understanding of guilt, which is kind of a particular problem. If you're guilty of something, you know, you're guilty of speeding, you can pay the fine. But if shame is something that is not partial, it can't simply be paid off. It's something that it's not, I've done something wrong, but I am wrong. In a sense, there's a problem even in the reading of the Old Testament in a misreading of Romans. So we move from shame, which is consistently connected to death, and understand that when we talk about the reign of life, it is the resolution of the problem of shame and death. And so when we say righteousness made right, this is specifically, I think, what is talked about. And so Richard Hayes has done the work on, you know, the echoes of the Old Testament and the New. And he says that in the, the theme of shame and righteousness, as they're developed in the Old Testament, is echoed throughout Romans. In the, the Psalms, you know, obviously uh, other places in the, the wisdom literature, when you encounter the term righteousness, it's usually conjoined to the problem of shame, that righteousness is the resolution to shame. Guilt doesn't play much of a role in this. And that may sound like a, you know, a kind of technical point, but actually it is going to make all the difference as to how we understand the meaning of the, the death of Christ, the meaning of atonement. So one way of looking at this, you know, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. And so when Paul says he's not ashamed, he's not just saying, oh, he's proud of the gospel in this sense. But he's not ashamed in the, in the face of sin and death due to God's righteousness. So he's bringing together themes that should, to Jewish ears, to readers of the Old Testament, are themes that are uh, normally brought together. So with that, we'll stop, and I'll, next, next lecture I will introduce the, more of the content uh, in detail, a kind of survey of at least the early chapters of the book of Romans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.